0: I'm now joined by Alex Morris, President and Chief Investment Officer of FM Investments, who currently offers nine ETFs, now over $3 billion in assets. That's been done in a little over a year. Pretty remarkable. And, of course, they launched the industry's first single bond ETF. So an ETF like T-Bill, their U.S. Treasury three-month bill ETF. But their single Treasury ETF lineup as a whole has uh, really resonated. And then just last month, they launched the FM Opportunistic Income ETF, ticker XFIX. And not only that, they recently filed with the SEC to offer mutual fund share classes of all of their ETFs. That's right, mutual fund share classes. They want to go the other direction here. Uh, Alex is now joining me from uh, Washington, D.C. Alex, great having you back on the podcast.
1: Hey, Thanks for having me back. It's good to be here.
0: Okay. So we are going to get into some of your ETFs a bit later, but boy, what a year for you and the firm. Like I said, going from literally zero to now over $3 billion in ETF assets. Uh, you just launched your first ETF in uh, August of last year. And uh, I'm sure you recall, I remember you being here in studio. I think that was in October of last year when you were really just getting started. You fast forward to today, and you know, as I said at the top, I think FM has to be one of the biggest ETF success stories here recently. What has the past uh, year been like for you in the firm?
1: It's been it's been exciting to say the least. When we came up with the the idea for the benchmark series and to dip our toe in the water of offering an ETF, we always had high hopes. But you know, most of finance is set up with high hopes that aren't met. So it's been exciting to do that. I think it's really a byproduct of offering a solution, a market needed. Back in October, you and I talked about innovation and ETF space, primarily focused on equities, and that left a need in the fixed income space for better tools. And I think the market has responded, and you know, we're up to 11 now, believe it or not. All 10 points of the yield curve, uh, when you and I were talking, we only had the, the three major points of the 90-day, the 2-year, and the 10-year. Now we've got the whole yield curve equitized that you can access. And with XFIX, uh, we we dip our toe into the actively managed space as well. And plenty more to come uh, in the coming weeks and months.
0: See, you're moving too fast for me. I have outdated data already. On your, uh,
1: that's E-T-S- right. I lineup. mean, it's, it's weird to, to do that. And then we do this mutual fund thing. And yeah, the, that's the exciting part, I guess, about ETFs. Is you can do these things quickly, and they can get adopted quickly. And then you can just keep providing them as opposed to, you know, some of the other spaces where it takes three, five years before anyone can even start investing. But yeah, that's obviously not the case in the FT, ETF space. And we're, we're pretty keen to keep our foot on the accelerator uh, of innovation.
0: Okay. So I do want to come back and talk more again about the single treasury bond ETF lineup here in a moment. But I want to start with this mutual fund share class filing. So we have seen a couple of other issuers file to launch an ETF share class of their mutual funds. You want to do the opposite. You want to offer a mutual fund share class of your ETFs. And so I'd love to have you uh, just give us some background here. Why, why do you want to do this?
1: Sure. So most of the of who want to offer an ETF share class on a mutual fund business must first have a very large established mutual fund business to build ETFs on. We just we don't have that. So we weren't really natively in that game. But also, many of them want it for the tax advantages and other sort of requisite things that are good for that business, for, for the established franchises they have. You know, our interest is perhaps a little different. We looked at the issues in running a mutual fund ETF, you know, multi-share class model, around one share class subsidizing the other. Obviously, at mutual funds, you tend to have multiple different fee rates for different share class types, and it gets very complicated. And then you have the notion of, what do you do when you need to raise cash? in one, but you can't raise it in the other. But the the single treasury ETFs are are effectively cash equivalent anyway. We're able to settle those trades quickly and we're really dealing in the cash market. So we thought we had an opportunity to answer some of those questions in a very pure way, in a much more pure way than a fund that's gonna trade 150 different equities would. And as a result, we looked at it and said, oh, okay, well maybe this will answer the demand that we've had from folks in the defined benefit, defined contribution space who wanted us to launch a mutual fund version of T-Bill or X-Bill. And it didn't make a lot of sense for us to do that. And particularly when you track a single security, you pretty quickly see the differences between the two. And charging differential fee levels and having these different features didn't make much sense to us. But when we saw the opportunity to do it inside of a single account where we could benefit from the scale of having a much larger basket of that one bond to trade, now all of a sudden, everybody started to benefit from that um, that outcome, and we were we thought that made a lot of sense to do.
0: So, really, this is about accessing that four hundred one k and four hundred three b et cetera market. Is that is that really the primary goal at the end of the day?
1: It is. I mean, there are four tenths, of, uh, uh, you know, four tenths of a percent of those plans today currently offer ETF capabilities. And that means there's 99.6% of the market that can't access our innovation, and we wanted to provide them solutions. And this felt like the best way for us to be able to do
0: that. You mentioned that the um, SEC's primary concern in in looking at the share class structure is the uh, share class subsidization, right, Um, where... The SEC is concerned that, say, actions of mutual fund shareholders will cause negative tax events or or higher transaction costs for ETF share class holders. And I'm just trying to think about how likely it is that the SEC might approve your structure. And, again, I mentioned a couple of other issuers who are attempting to offer an ETF share class of their existing mutual funds. And if you look at those SEC filings, both want to offer active ETFs, which, as I'm sure you're aware, the Vanguard SEC approval was only for passive products. And so, um, again, as, as I go through your filing, I'm just curious, can you talk more about those key distinctions between what you're trying to do and, and these other issuers? Uh, or, you know, do you think the SEC should allow all of these filings? Again, I'm just trying to gauge how likely it is that the SEC allows us to go through.
1: No, it's, a, it's a great question, and I wish I were a handicapper of, of everything. Um, it's hard to handicap the regulators, and I, I don't want to pigeonhole them into one of answers or another. Um, I think if you look at the established mutual fund industry and the desire to offer an ETF, a lot of it comes from what Vanguard had done and had built a franchise where they were able to offer tax-free or, you know, reduced tax situations. And and rightfully so, many others want to eliminate that competitive advantage or at least have an opportunity to do that. The problem comes in the uniqueness of how an ETF is created. An ETF is very rude and hard is a mutual fund. It's a very special type that limits who can create those shares. And you you pick up some advantages of trading it on an exchange, but ultimately the math at the end of the day has to work out to be the same. The problem now becomes what happens when someone wants to redeem and they're going to get cash today from the mutual fund. The mutual fund naturally needs to have some additional cash on hand to meet some reasonable amount of redemptions versus what an ETF would be able to do. And would an ETF natively not need that cash, but now it has to hold it because the mutual fund share class kind of requires it to do so. And there's obviously a balancing uh, equation that needs to happen. And, you know, it's a, a fair ask of ETF issuers, you know, should an ETF issuer be required to hold no frictional cash because it's possible that they don't need to? And the answer is, well, maybe some of the strategies, particularly actively managed strategies, would hold some amount of requisite cash anyway, so they could opportunistically buy a a good value when they see one. And I think it's those types of questions we're going to start to really get into at the SEC. And and I think by going at it with the single treasuries, right, which is a, a sort of sacred asset class, it's just different than other bonds and certainly different than equities, gives us an opportunity to answer these questions in a very pure, very narrow fashion. And I hope the SEC agrees with us that this is a, a good vehicle, and if yes, then we can start to address some of the other items and other asset classes that would naturally follow. But uh, so far, you know, we're, we're waiting for the SEC uh, to respond, and, and we're excited for a conversation uh, with them, and we hope that there is a mechanism, whether it's our application, the other applications which present compelling reasons on them for themselves, different from ours. And then what I suspect will be many, many more that will come in the the coming quarters to really allow equal participation, regardless of the security type you want to acquire or the account you want to put it in. Because I think that's really what we're trying to do for investors, is give the maximum and broadest possible set of tools and the most universal investment experience, regardless of where it may be. And we've created this alphabet soup of security types and you know, the account types and different parts of all code that we talk about. But at the end of the day, we know investors want a simple, investable, understandable solution and finding a way to make certainly ETFs that folks understand and invest and follow strategies like the benchmark series do available universally seems to be consistent with that image and message and, and a, probably a good thing for investors and their advisors.
0: Um, Alex, before we move on here, I have to ask you, I saw in your uh, press release on this mutual fund share class filing that you also applied for a provisional patent on this structure. Um, How would you propose accomplishing that? Like, how would what you're doing be any different than Vanguard's expired patent? Because I'm just trying to understand uh, how you could patent something that, at least to me, looks pretty similar to a a patent that just expired. But uh, clearly, I'm no IP attorney. You know, and uh, neither am I, so I,
1: I don't want <laughs> to pretend to play one or tell you I, st- I didn't even say at a Holiday and Express last night to be able to, to play one on TV. Uh, but practically speaking, uh, I think the, the way that patent was written allowed the flow to go one way. And in looking to reverse that, there are some unique differences in how we would handle uh, tax lot integration, uh, the taxable state of the accounts, what types of accounts you might work with, and how we would work with the APs and the TAs to make this work. Um, and rather like you with the SEC, you know, it's a, it's a long road with any government regulator. Uh, they can, they could agree with us. They could not. They could, uh, you know, have series of questions that we can answer, uh, and then try to come to a conclusion or a resolution on. Um, but we shall have to wait and, and see as well. Um, unfortunately, it's one of those, I wish I had better answers and a, and a better view. I think it's, um, we, we put the paperwork together. We thought it made sense uh, and think it does. And, you know, we hope that the combination these to conflict together would give the SEC enough reason to approve their side, knowing that if they made an approval for us, it wouldn't be broadly used uh, across the board and that it would have some control mechanism on it, which would probably be for the safety of everybody.
0: No, I appreciate the cabinetness on uh, both of those responses in terms of how the SEC might handle this and certainly the uh, the patent office. Um Okay, so in terms of your ETFs, I know many listeners are pretty familiar with the uh, single treasury bond ETF lineup, but I still want to pick an ETF here and just have you explain how it works and, and how you view the the merits. And so I picked U2, which is your U.S. Treasury two-year note ETF. And there's two things I'd like you to cover. So again, first, just explain what this ETF is doing. But then I think more importantly... Explain why someone would own this versus an ETF like, say, the iShares one-to-three-year Treasury ETF.
1: Sure. Um, So so you two, uh, the the ETF, not the band, uh, (laughs) invest in the the on-the-run two-year Treasury, which is a very liquid, well-known issue, part of many common spreads, the 210-year spread, et cetera. And it's a well-known point on the curve. And it behaves just fundamentally differently than, say, that one-to-three-year, which has a pretty wide swath of the curve and the duration difference between one, two, and three is meaningfully different. The volumes traded on those securities meaningfully different. And when you look at the on the run versus a basket of other securities that might be aged somewhat, right? a, A two year bond could be the on the run that we buy. It could be a 30 year bond that's 28 years old and has different characteristics, different coupon rates, you know, different ways of behaving. And we wanted to focus on the -the on-the-run because it's liquid. So even back on March 8th, 2020, when a good chunk of the bond market seized up for a few days, including some of the the age treasuries, there was still liquidity at a fair price to be had in the -the on-the-runs. And we felt when we offered the tool set that was very precise, where you could build your exact position on a yield curve, knowing that you were going to always stay at that point on the yield curve, you needed to be in the most liquid and the most quoted side of it. And that's, that's why we offered that specific item. And now when you think about the role that we do, we do it at size and scale. So we can get an economy of scale not generally available to the average investor. And if you're building a ladder portfolio, as opposed to a ladder where, say, the top rung naturally falls to the bottom and you just keep putting new rungs on the very top, in this case, we're just a rung that constantly stays in place. So you could set in your rebalancer, this is the position I want to take on the yield curve. And you will stay exactly in that space because we do that rebalancing for you. Whereas, say SHY will move around, where its average maturity duration will bounce between the extremes and sit somewhere in the middle. But it isn't as it's not net; it is not consistent, and it wouldn't be as consistent as say U two or O bill or U which sit on the, the barbell end of that exact
0: range. But again, if I'm an allocator and I just I really want to boil this down. And I'm looking at say U two versus SHY, I mean, what are the key considerations here? I, I, I it makes perfect sense the way you're describing this and I I think you're offering much more surgical precisions. But if I'm if I have those two ETFs sitting in front of me, what should my decision making process or my thought process be in making that allocation decision? I
1: think it's are you trying to buy the two year, right? What you see on TV. Mm-hmm. And do you want the precision of knowing, okay, I'm going to have an average maturity duration, knowing my whole portfolio and this is how I'm going to achieve it. Or am I just looking for some broad treasury exposure where, you know, unfortunately diversification, the treasury market doesn't really much help. It's the same issuer, right? The SPY at least diversifies over 500 different issuers of stock here. The treasury department is the only game in town. So. It, you get a one- to three-year spread, but you're not, you're not diversifying. You're just diversifying the coupon, and you're diversifying away some liquidity. So if you care about knowing that there's going to be a bid and that the price action that you're going to experience in the ETF is what you're seeing on TV, is what you're hearing folks talk about, and is consistent, U2 is the answer for you. If, if you worry less about that, U2 is still a great answer for you, but then some of the other multi, multi-treasury products might make some sense. Our theory is why would you not want that level of precision and control for equal cost and for, you know, equal or higher coupon, which tends to be the case with U2 versus uh, some of the products that are spread out over a wider range of issuances?
0: You mentioned the uh, roll earlier, and I don't want to get too far in the weeds. And actually, I believe I asked you this last time we chatted, but I think with what rates have done over the past uh, year or so, I think this is probably more relevant now. And the, the, the question is, is there any risk of what I'll call negative roll yield, where once bonds go off the run, uh, they're going to sell at a slight discount because there's a bit less liquidity, right? And so if we think about this environment we're currently in with rising interest rates, uh, newly issued bonds have a higher coupon. And so I, I would think the ETF basically has to sell low and buy high. Again, we're talking, you know, very slight discounts. Does that make sense? Is, is that an issue at all? So it certainly
1: can be. Uh, right now, most of the yield curve is above its break-even point, where you're actually earning enough income, an interest from the coupon or accretion for the bills between when you buy and when you sell. That you're paid to do that, uh, and that break-even point, you know, in the ten year tends to be about three and a half, and the two year well, about the same. And both of them are trading well north of that, so you're actually incentivized to do this. And of course, when rates come down, the one thing you want to be doing is extending your duration. Mm-hmm. So we give you that opportunity. And, but indeed, if you look at you know how the rules work when interest rates are low, that negative rule yield you know does have some modest impact. We mitigate some of that with just the efficiency of the trading that we have. So part of the rule yield would be the number of bonds you get is less, and then you pay two spreads. By efficient trading, we can reduce the cost of the spread. We'll mitig- mitigate some of that. And now with rates so high, we're actually earning enough current income that it's, you're incentivized to do the role both from a current income standpoint as well as from the duration extension um, point when the when eventually rates do come down. Now, obviously, there is a point where rates could go up so fast that that becomes an issue. But, but thankfully, that's not been an issue of late across the curve.
0: Okay, before I let you go, um, tell us about this new ETF that launched last month, the FM Opportunistic Income ETF, ticker XPEX. This is not a single treasury bond ETF. What does this do and uh, why the decision to expand here?
1: Sure. So X uh, runs a strategy that my, my partner and colleague Pete Baden has been running for over a decade. Five star, morning star strategy in an SMA that focuses on generating income. So in the same way that folks would buy T for income, this does it in the credit markets. Uh it's it's opportunistic, so it's not required to buy uh to buy just one type of security and it thinks like a value investor, but as opposed to being required to buy value stocks, it it operates in the fixed income realm. And as a result, Pete put together a great track record for folks who want to buy fixed income, who want that fixed income to generate a meaningful return for them. And we can we want to understand what we're doing beyond just, you know, a lot of bond garbly gook. That tends to happen in a lot of these actively managed fixed income strategies. Uh so Pete Pete put this track record together been running it in the SMA, you know, it's one of those best-kept secrets for a long time. Uh, And best-kept secrets are great for some, uh, but in this industry, a larger AUM that tends to benefit both current holders and future ones. Uh, So we brought it out as the first of our actively managed credit items. We expect to do more of those next year as we take some of the strategies that we've been doing for institutional and advisory-style clients for for a long, long time and making them more accessible. It's increasingly Uh, The technology to do SMAs for bonds is increasingly available, but fewer and fewer folks really want to see 200 QSIPs sitting in their portfolio. They're getting more comfortable with ETFs and now with how the ETFs can have these types of strategies. And the market makers are sufficiently matured in in the credit market. It really makes a lot of sense to do this. We can get more efficient trading uh, for everyone. We can reduce the overall cost of delivery of the product. And we have the flexibility in the wrapper to do so in both a tax efficient way as well as a rebalancer friendly way, which bonds and rebalancers have just been mortal enemies for a long time, which has really made adoption of those strategies limited. And this, we think, will give folks access to the credit markets and to a meaningful return stream in a way that's accessible and uh, much more tailored to how folks want to consume it in today's marketplace.
0: Well, Alex, we'll have to leave it there. Congratulations on all of the success. Uh, Best of luck to you on the Mutual Fund Share Class Initiative. I'm very interested to continue uh, tracking that. But thank you for joining me this week. Hey, thank you so much. That was Alex Morris, President and Chief Investment Officer of FM Investments.